from WRKF in Baton Rouge and WWNO in New Orleans, you're listening to Louisiana Considered. I'm Karen Henderson. On the show today, we hear why the East Baton Rouge Parish School Board is facing intense criticism after a worsening teacher shortage and approving a tax break for petrochemical giant ExxonMobil. Plus, we hear how the Louisiana Wildlife and Fisheries Commission is addressing a resurgence of black bears throughout the state. But first, wrestling season is on at Huntington College in Montgomery, Alabama. And this season will be one for the history books because Huntington is the only collegiate women's team in the Gulf South. Joseph King traveled to Montgomery for the Hawks season opener and has this story for the Gulf States Newsroom. In a gym packed with fans, family, and recruits, the Huntington Hawks give the crowd a look at their 2023 wrestling teams. Sophomore Shelby Fugate is ready to show off some of the things she's been working on, including her favorite wrestling move. A Granby is where you, you roll out, and you can either roll out while grabbing something on them or just roll out to escape something. Uh, folk style, I used it a lot uh, to get a pin. I'd roll out from bottom and get on top and get a pin. Fugate has been wrestling for a long time, and it runs in her family. I've wanted to wrestle since I was in kindergarten or first grade. My sister wrestled, and uh, after she started that, my entire family just started wrestling. So she wrestled, my brothers wrestled, then I wrestled. This showcase is an intra match. That means the Hawks split themselves into two teams and scrimmaged each other. They had a few injuries coming into the season, so Fugate says she and her teammates worked out some boundaries in advance. We had agreement. I wouldn't go for her knees. She wouldn't go for my knee. So it was, it was more like a more intense live practice. But they still tried to give the crowd a good show. This is the first season for the women's wrestling team in Huntington. Saturday was homecoming for the school, and these wrestling matches are a preview, not only for fans, but also potential recruits. There were more than 15 recruits at Huntington for the women's team alone. Tristan Robinson is a freshman at Huntington from Dothan, Alabama. She says she loves the intensity that wrestling brings and that feeling of exhaustion. I love competing. I love working hard. And I like feeling like I'm dying sometimes. And then being able to, at the end of it, being like, I just did that and I'm proud of myself for that. Robinson credits her father for her love with the sport. He started the wrestling team at our high school, and now he's here cheering his daughter on. I'm, I'm really looking forward to their competitions and, and seeing how they stack up against the, the girls in the conference and the girls in the, within the, the rest of the United States, you know. And he would like to see this sport take off in the Deep South. Yeah, I want everybody to get on board, and, you know, and you know, just like they would for Alabama football. You know. Freshman Santisha Taft says she stumbled into her love for wrestling in high school. Her soccer coach encouraged her and later became her wrestling coach. And he was like, just come get on the mat with me then. And I wanted to have him coach me in anything for my senior year. So I went and wrestled and I came here. She says she loves the independence that comes with wrestling. I like that if I lose, I'm not going to put it on anybody else. I know it's me and that's something I have to work on personally. And when I win, no one can take it from me because it's not like, oh, I did this. That's why you got this. It's I went out there. I competed. I won for myself. The National Wrestling Coaches Association says women's wrestling is the fastest growing collegiate sport right now. But Taff says she may only see one or two black girls on a team. And there's a lot of pressure that comes with that. I feel the need to prove myself more. She wants to encourage black girls to try wrestling 
to get on the mat. Stay true to yourself, know who you are, no matter where you go or who you're around, never change yourself. Like, know who you are as a person and stand by that 100%. Head coach Lillian Humphreys is in her second year at the school. She spent her first year recruiting and is excited to finally be able to show off the team. She says the college has shown its support from day one. A lot of these girls that are coming in don't have the same equal opportunity as the men's and locker rooms included. They a lot of times have to go use the bathroom in the hallway. At Huntingdon, I got hired on June 1st of 2022, and by June 9th of that year, um, they started building our women's locker room, um, which is a huge investment for one, and I didn't even have a team. It kind of makes sense that Humphreys is leading the first collegiate women's wrestling team in the Gulf South. She was on the first Division I women's wrestling team in the country. Like many of the women she coaches, Humphrey says she had a lot of support from her family. I, I was hesitant at first because I was the only girl on my team. Um, by the end of the day, I thought it would be a good opportunity for me, so I took it. She also wants to encourage more girls to get on the mat and says you never know where wrestling can take you. For the Gulf States Newsroom, I'm Joseph King. The Huntington Hawks head to Georgia to match up against Life University's Eagles on November 11th. The Gulf States Newsroom is a partnership between public radio stations in Louisiana, Mississippi, and Alabama. The East Baton Rouge Parish school system is facing a worsening teacher shortage and hefty fines after failing a retirement audit, as well as criticism from members of the Baton Rouge community for approving a property tax break for petrochemical giant ExxonMobil. Charles Lashier is covering these stories for The Advocate, and he joins me now. Charles, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Could you start by telling us about this audit of the school system's retirement contributions? What, what did the audit uncover? Well, there were a number of retired teachers who uh, were serving as substitute teachers. And Louisiana has some very complicated rules in its teacher retirement system about how many hours they could work, if you're retired, you know, how much you can make. And two years ago, the school system handed off all this to a private contractor out of Knoxville, Texas, called ESS. And apparently ESS was not keeping track of this like it should have. And so they do annual audits of this and it came out in their annual audit, which is about the four final version is about to release, but they got a preliminary version and they were looking at $248,000. I've heard fee fine, but essentially if they had done it right, they wouldn't be paying this, you know, and that's one year they're probably gonna be double because there'll be another audit. But the worst part of it is that the school system is trying to bring it back in house but they, they don't feel they can hire retired teachers in the meantime as subs. And those are the most prized subs. They already know how to teach, uh, especially for, you know, longer term absences. And so there's principals who aren't very happy about this right now. And there's empty classrooms that don't have subs. Right. Well, and now, so you have these retired teachers that are not able to be substitutes here in, in Baton Rouge anymore. Is there another plan in place to address this, the teacher shortage? So the plan seems to be to try to get out of this contract as quickly as they can and try to bring in a house. And then they are they have a little more freedom to hire these teachers. But even when they get them back, it's still there's still limits on how much they can work and they have some some big absences. So you get these weird things like you know, twenty hours a week apparently is kind of the, the cap for many of these folks. And that's you know, so are you gonna come in two and a half days a week to sub? You know, what happens the other two and a half days? 
there's talk about, well, maybe they should pay extra to teacher retirement to have some subs. So this is going to be an ongoing debate. We're speaking with Charles Lassier, education reporter for The Advocate, about two recent controversies in the East Baton Rouge Parish school system. Charles, let's look at this second one, the school system's approval of a property tax break for ExxonMobil. What are the terms of the tax break? Well, uh, so this is an 87-year-old program. It's called the Industrial Tax Exemption Program, or ITEP. So the, everyone says ITEP. But this has been a, um, a break on property taxes for 10 years for industrial companies that are making large capital investments. And um, it used to be a 100% exemption. And then John Bell Edwards, starting in 2016 and again in 2018, changed the terms of the, the deal. And so now it's an 80% exemption if it's granted. But Local school boards, parish councils, sheriffs have the ability to say no to their portion of it. And uh, ExxonMobil recently got approved for uh, what's an $8.6 million exemption over the course of 10 years. And they had to go through the Metro Council. They had to go through the uh, school board and the sheriff. And um, they, they've cleared that hurdle. But it was, the school board is where they had the most trouble. Now, you write that it passed, but not before quite lengthy debate, two-hour debate, passed on a seven-to-two vote. Who participated in that debate, and what were their key arguments? Well, it was interesting. So last several years, they've been able to vote on these things, and almost all of these go through. But in January 2019, the school board rejected one from ExxonMobil, which was unheard of. It was like a five-to-four vote, very controversial. That was a project that had been done for months and months. This is a much for lack of a word, sexier project. It, it's like new product lines, like it, like recycling, um, isopropyl alcohol, ref, refining for microchips, you know, wind turbines, like new, you know, alternative energy type stuff. And um, the opposition, which had been pretty quiet about this stuff for the last few years, it was kind of like January 2019 all over again. They all came out. It was a pretty big turnout. And there were a few people picking at that particular application because it didn't create any new permit jobs. The program has gotten refined through the years, and the latest version is that if it's a large project that doesn't necessarily have to create jobs, and this is a, this is like $75 million um, worth of work, and they simply need to say that they will not, they will retain all the jobs they have at that facility, the, their refinery. Again, Charles, what are the key arguments for the key arguments against? Yeah, so the so the key arguments for it is that this is economic development. These are projects that aren't guaranteed. The company has its own process and that if they don't get this exemption, it could well go somewhere else and they lose out on the whole deal, which the grand total is like $250 million of projects. In this case, it's really about 150 that was at stake and that Exxon is a a major economic player in Baton Rouge. Just we need these kind of projects to build the economy. Uh, we, we shouldn't be against development. That's to the pro side. Um, and then the anti side was that these kinds of tax breaks shouldn't exist at all, really. I mean, it's basically that the school board should not be giving away property tax revenue to major industrial companies like this. Uh, and the case of ExxonMobil, you know, they made $55.7 billion in profit last year. And so it's not that they lack money at the moment. So that was kind of 
the big the basic dynamics. You know, it's like this game of chicken. You know, you you don't know would Exxon really have left had the school board voted no, we're not going to give you that tax break. This is the million dollar question. So they've been very like on message on this that look, this is not a gimme. Um, they clearly under there were several school board members who were saying the same things. There were very dubious opponents uh, questioning that. You know, it's it's hard to know. We the thing they rejected in 2019 was something they'd already done, so it wasn't like they could undo it. This was a new perspective project, so it's hard to know for sure. Um, I haven't done a deep dive in this, but my understanding is the literature suggested. The, the, the general consensus is that bulk of these projects to get big tax exemptions around the country, like they would do it anyway, that the incentives, the things that draw them to whatever it is to begin with, um, don't go away, you know, that they are preeminent above and beyond the tax break. But, you know, there is, a, if this if you started seeing the school system reject every single one of these out of hand, you know, that could change some behavior, like there might be some changes. So we don't quite know. Have ExxonMobil officials announced a timeline or a location for building the alcohol distillation and, and plastic recycling facilities that it promised in, in exchange for the tax break? Yeah, they've laid out some some timetables and look at they're, they're basically going to be adding to their existing facilities. The uh, advanced recycling and the isopropyl alcohol distillation um, unit is going to their Baton Rouge refinery. And then the wind turbine, like they're making resins for wind turbines, that's going to happen across the river in Port Allen at their facility there. And um, it sounds like this summer sometime is when they're going to really kind of kick into gear with all that. It'll take a year and a half or so, two years maybe, to, to build it all. And again, this this tax break is a 10-year tax break. After the 10 years, it falls off. And and let's talk about how much uh, under the uh, 20% that the school system will get. Uh, what kind of money will they see? And then uh, after the 10 years, when it reverts back, when they lose the break, what kind of money comes the way? The 20% for the whole parish works out to about $215,000 a year. Uh, for the school system, that's probably in the order of about 100000 that they'll get. And after 10 years, they're estimating, they're saying the whole thing, if you throw sales taxes, the parish will be about $13.5 million over the course of 20 years. So that's not nothing. Charles Lassier covers education for The Advocate. Charles, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Karen. Thanks for having me. From WRKF in Baton Rouge and WWNO in New Orleans, you're listening to Louisiana Considered. I'm Karen Henderson. A resurgence in Louisiana's black bear population has sparked discussion among state officials about a hunting season for the animal, which was taken off the endangered species list in 2016. The Louisiana Wildlife and Fisheries Commission is expected to vote in November on creating a black bear hunting season. Joining us with more on what's happening with the Louisiana black bear is the Director of Research and Species Management for the Louisiana Department of Wildlife and Fisheries, Jeff Dugay. Jeff, thanks for coming on. Hey, thanks, Karen. It's good to be here. Let's start with this story that's often repeated, but is it true? And this is the story about the Louisiana black bear and links to President Teddy Roosevelt and the origins of the teddy bear. Yes, um, actually, it is true. Teddy Roosevelt came down for a bear hunt. Um, and, you know, at that time, they would use dogs to chase the bears. They'd be on horseback. And 
apparently, you know, they hadn't gotten a bear yet and he wanted to. So a gentleman by the name of Holt Collier, um, who is was a renowned bear hunter, he actually went out, lassoed a live bear, and it wasn't a cub, it was an adult bear, and he tied it to a tree. And then he got the president to come to shoot this bear. And the president would not shoot a bear that was tied to a tree. And this was in the early like nineteen oh two, I think it was, when President Roosevelt visited the yeah. state for this this bear hunt. And at the time, the population was large. Yeah, you know, I don't know the exact numbers, but they are, you know, there were a fair number of bears in the state at that time, and they occurred over much of the state, especially in the Mississippi alluvial valley, you know, the bottomland hardwood areas. Mm-hmm. So, when did the the population begin to decline, and and what do we know about why? It started declining, you know, really in the probably mid, by, probably by 1920, the early 1920s, numbers had declined quite a bit. Um, and the main reasons were habitat loss. So much of their forested habitat that they needed was harvested, in some cases for timber, and also a lot of it was converted into farmland. And then there was also a lot of um, unregulated hunting as well. So there was over-harvesting of bears. So those two things really resulted in bear numbers declining. Well, it wasn't until 1992 that uh, the Louisiana black bear was placed on the endangered species list. It was listed as threatened at the time. Correct. What does that designation mean? And can you talk some about what, what's happened to the Louisiana black bear um, since that time of being placed on that list to allow them to be removed? Okay. If an if a, uh, animal is placed on the threatened list for endangered species, that means there's a high probability that it could become endangered. And a species that is endangered means there's a high probability that it could become extinct. Um, so once it was placed on the endangered species list, a plan was developed in order to increase the bear numbers. So what we did was we started providing bear habitat and monitoring these populations to see how are they responding, you know, as habitat increases. And you know, what has subsequently happened is the black bear numbers have increased in quite a bit. All right. So this is 92, 1992. They're placed on the, the list. How have you or how has um, Louisiana tracked the numbers through the years? And what can you tell us about uh, the numbers of, of black bear from 92 to, to currently? Sure. What we do is... Uh, something called, it's it's called the Spatially Explicit Mark Recapture Modeling. Um, and what that is, is that's where you go out, capture animals, and this is just a very simplified version, but you go out, capture animals, mark them, and recapture them, and from that you can get a population estimate. And the way that we do it, and that other states do it as well, is we use something called hair snares. So we'll have an area where we, we put up barbed wire, and we put a donut in the middle with scent. And these bears love these donuts. And the bears will come to the donut, and when they do, they'll go under the barbed wire and they leave hair on it. So we take that hair and it gets sent off for DNA analysis so we know who the individual bears are. And these population models have suggested that we have at least 1,200 bears in the state of Louisiana. And that's probably about 80 to 90% because where we do these 
hair snares are the parts of the state where populations are the highest. We're speaking with Jeff Dugay, Director of Research and Species Management for the Louisiana Department of Wildlife and Fisheries, talking about the possible return of a black bear hunting season here in Louisiana. Jeff, there, there are more reports of late of black bear sightings. Uh, a few months ago, residents in Ruston saw a black bear roaming around in their backyard. In Minden last month, Minden police got a, a call about a black bear roaming onto a carport. What advice do you have for, for someone who encounters a black bear? Okay, the most important thing to remember is that bears generally do not want to be around people. And the biggest issues arise when people are feeding bears. Some cases they feed them intentionally, other cases it's unintentionally. For example, if you leave food out you know, for your dogs, for example, if bears come by, they'll eat it and they'll keep coming by because it's an easy food source. Also, if you're in an area with bears and you have your trash cans that aren't sealed, and they're actually special trash cans they can use that prevent bears from getting in them. So if a bear can get in your trash, it's gonna keep coming back because it's an easy food source. And if you have bears that you know come around and you're going outside, make a lot of noise. When bears hear you, more likely than not, they're gonna get scared and run away. They're not noted to be an aggressive species. So talk some about what's behind uh, the support and this kind of push now at this point in time for a black bear hunting season. Okay, well, the uh, Wildlife Commission, they actually set the seasons. And the Wildlife Commission asked us to give them a notice of intent for a bear hunt. And they wanted us to do that for next month in November at their commission meeting. And based on all our the population modeling that we do across the state, we know that bear numbers in the state are stable to increasing depending on where you're at. And, you know, there have been, you know, complaints in areas because, you know, there's bear-human conflicts because bear numbers are increasing, so therefore they're more likely to encounter people. Um, and also in certain areas of the state, you know, especially up, you know, in the northeast part of the state, um, there have been a lot of vehicle bear collisions. In the last five years, there have been that we know of 200 bears hit by cars. And so we're getting about 40 bears a year hit by cars. And so we're having increases in bears, you know, both anecdotally, just by looking at, you know, these vehicle hits, people complaints, and then also our numbers based on population modeling tells us, yes, bear numbers are increasing across the state. Based on the numbers, we can have a conservative hunt. And this hunt would be structured in such a way that it wouldn't, you know, in any way adversely impact the population. So in other words, it's not going to cause a population decline. Explain again for us what will happen at the um, Wildlife and Fisheries Commission meeting next month. What decision will they make uh, about a black bear hunting season? Okay, what will happen is, you know, since they asked us for this notice of intent, you know, we'll give them information on bear populations, you know, how we, you know, came up with these estimates. And then we'll make recommendations in terms of, you know, how we think a season should be structured. And then the commission, what they do is they set the actual dates. Um, and then they also make the decisions, you know, on bag limits. So, for example, how many bears, you know, should be harvested, those sorts of things. And then after the commission meeting, though, there'll be a 90-day period where we take public comments. So people can contact us, you know, through email or whatever and tell us, you know, we support it. This is why we don't. This is why those sorts of things. And then we'll go back to the commission, you know, with all the, the public comments and tell them, you know, this is what the public has said. And at that point, they may or may not adjust whatever recommendations they make. Then they'll have a final vote on whether or not we will have a bear season. 
Jeff Duguay, Director of Research and Species Management for the Louisiana Department of Wildlife and Fisheries. Jeff, thank you for your time. Hey, thank you. It was a pleasure. From WRKF in Baton Rouge and WWNO in New Orleans, you've been listening to Louisiana Considered. I'm Karen Henderson. Thanks to our guest, reporter for the Baton Rouge Advocate, Charles Lassier, and the Director of Research and Species Management for the Louisiana Department of Wildlife and Fisheries, Jeff Duguay. Our managing producer is Alana Schreiber, and our assistant producer is Aubrey Procell. Our engineer is Garrett Pittman. You can listen to Louisiana Considered Monday through Friday at noon and 7 p.m. It's available on Spotify, Google Play, and wherever you get your podcasts. Major support for Louisiana Considered provided by Rouse's Markets, a Louisiana shopping experience, with additional support from the Historic New Orleans Collection.